0: Hey, Liz. Hey, Olivia. Welcome to Women, Magic, and Power, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Today we have part two of Kat Fulmer Hogan.
1: Yeah, today she'll tell us more about um, her journey with the LBGTQ Plus community and how it's personal for her. If you didn't realize it after the first episode, you will realize it now. Kat puts it all out there. She tells you everything. Um, and again, teaches us a whole bunch of things while sharing her story.
0: And this discussion will make you think, and it will make you feel, and all
2: the good things. So enjoy, everybody. Then is Eve, and she came in here crazy. I mean, I was like a week past my due date. I am in labor. They're like, fine, just come in. I go in they break my water and then they're like oh crap because uh the meconium is in there we gotta get her out. so we gotta get her out and then all of a sudden all these neurolog everybody's coming in because Mm. she's you know ingested this and so it was really scary uh she was my biggest baby because she had an extra week to grow to Mm -hmm. cook in there but she wanted out but didn't know how to do that i I was never one I was Like, oh, my water broke. I was, <laughs> and, and then I thought it was pretend like that wasn't like a thing because it never <laughs> happened to me. My water always had to be broken. Um, you're talking to c sections over here, so yeah. oh, literally. I was like, okay,
0: kids, no labor, no labor, yeah.
2: So it was, I always thought it was like that's super fake, like it's not, <laughs> it doesn't really happen. People are just being dramatic, and so but all the
0: movies have it. So tell us about Eve and how she has changed. Your whole
2: perspective and yeah. way of moving. They'll do that. Children will do that. Mm. <clears throat> they will challenge everything that you think you know mm. about everything. So Eve came into the world, a little girl, in disguise as a bouncing baby boy. And um, she was delayed in her speech. Always wondered if it was because of what happened. Hmm. Mm. I always wondered if there were ways in which what happened to her impacted the way that she processes. So she, maybe when she was like three, I noticed that when my daughter would leave the house, she'd immediately run to her room, put on what she called heel highs or dancing shoes. (laughs) And uh, she'd get all gussied up and she'd turn anything into a deeply feminine thing, right? She'd repurpose it. And at first I thought it was sort of an obsession with sissy, because that's what they call her. And then when we would go shopping and she'd want to go to the girl's section and I would hear her because when she's three, Chloe's born. She's got a little sister. As she's getting older, three to five, and then Chloe's playing with her and... You know, Chloe's a little spitfire, and she's like, "Call me, call me sister." Like, you know, little things like that are mm-hmm. happening. She wants this lip gloss, and I say, "Oh, here's a chapstick." She's gravitating towards this little pocketbook, and I say, "Oh, here's a cute little backpack." You know, she wants dresses, and I say, "Oh, here's like athletic leggings." And you know, I'm I'm like I'm imagining all of these alternatives to what she's really asking for and I'm doing this dance in my head don't encourage don't discourage don't encourage because I don't know what I'm doing I literally (laughs) sure have no idea what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and this is a couple we've met in church that's we're at church every week you know that's where we're going he's you know helping to fix things and I'm the secretary or the treasurer. I'm doing, singing, I'm all the things, and I always felt that I was very open. <laughs> I was like, I'm, you know, I'm super open, and I'm very. <laughs> I don't even know if I said progressive because I don't even think I, like, was using that language yet. Because you know, my mom was a singer. She's a, you know, so I'd been around queer people like a lot in my life, and I'm like so fine with you. I'm so fine, like. Like even that language makes me uncomfortable that I said that I'm fine with you. And who am I, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. who am I to think that I get to be fine or not fine, right? With Mm -hmm. who you are. But I don't understand this. Like, I don't know. So I spent a lot of time doing that dance, you know, with her. While simultaneously with my Chloe, who we call Sassy McGee, being like, girl. You know, doing the whole, (laughs) the most, with her. And I can see that it's really hard for my husband. Like, really hard for him. At this point... How old is
1: Eve at this?
2: So she's, she's like five. And we're now moving off the mountain because mom has gotten a divorce. Mm -hmm. And she's come home and doesn't want to sell us the house. I ask another family member if I can purchase their piece of land, and they tell me no. And then my last hope was a piece of land that was owned by my grandfather, that the family that we'd lost, was to approach this other gentleman, because I heard that he wanted to sell, and, and uh, we said we'd buy, and we asked him to start you know, working on clearing out his property. We waited a little while, and then it, he didn't. He didn't do anything, he didn't act. So we contacted a realtor, and so that's a bit of a upheaval, upheaval for us. It's pretty emotional for me to go from living in the woods to living on the side of a highway. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do feel like it's, it's the right choice for our family. So as we're there, I'm sort of having conferences with teachers and I'm saying things like, well, you'll notice that she'd rather play in the kitchen and she'd rather play with, you know, and they're looking at me like, yeah, that like, like, we see it all day long. Um, you're not telling us anything that we don't already know. And I'm really clear that I was like, I don't know where this is going, but this is what's happening. Kindergarten, I still remember it being a very big moment. She decides that she wants the same Halloween costume as her little sister, which is Americana princess. It literally looks like a red and blue ball gown. <laughs> And I have a good relationship with the kindergarten teacher. You know, we're communicating. And I'm like, she's coming in hot. <laughs> I'm like, There's I'm no giving you advance warning. Here. So I'm like, I'm I'm the mom. If we're dealing with an issue at school, I'm finding a book. And I'm saying, I'll come and be guest reader. Yeah. Okay, that's, mm-hmm. that's how I... I'm also working with staff. We're, at this point, we're Team Micah, right? We're Team Micah all the way. I'm gonna tell you all the things, things that I'm not comfortable telling you, hmm. because I get it. If I tell you all of the things, we are best serving mm-hmm. my child, right? So as uncomfortable as I am, with laying it all out for you, this is how I be the mama that I need to be for mm-hmm. this kiddo. Mm-hmm. So she goes to school, and I remember reading like this story about the little boy, Daniel, who like wears a purple dress, and then I remember reading Morris Micklewhite in the Tangerine Dress and like reading these things. Thank God for Bobby. Shout out to Bobby at Bear in the Books. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I've stood in that place and cried while Bobby helped me find a book, right? She was very, very supportive and very helpful to me as we sort of navigating this process. So I remember letting the teachers know in advance because I didn't want it to be horrible. And then signing up, like, I'm going to be at the Halloween party. Like, I'm watching. Like, for people, my head's on a swivel because I'm like, Mm -hmm. nobody's getting away with anything because I'm going to shut it all the way down. And uh, I have a picture of her. That's the picture that we used when she graduated fifth grade because I told them, you need to be really clear about the pictures you're using of my child. And I need to clear every single picture that you're including that all the the fifth graders are going to see. I said... Smart. You... So... Something in my spirit, every picture of, I took of her, you know, doing the full out, I kept because something in my spirit said, this is going to matter one day. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was for me. I believe that was God saying, Yeah. Exactly. there's a day when this is going to matter to you. So I still have a gorgeous picture of her sitting in that dress, smiling at me, all the smiles, just so joyful. All
1: the joy in the and world. And I think that's, that's what I was going to say, like, just noticing her behavior while she noticing was her out was the, the little hint inside of you where you're like, this mm. is going to matter.
2: Yeah. Just being herself. Yeah. Just the fullness of herself. And I know that like, I still was really careful and really afraid. I think oh, sometimes. I can imagine. Because culturally it's complicated too, because you're, you know, we're living at the, like the, the, da- the most dangerous intersection at the, in the world 100%. is, is black and queer trans woman. I can't tell you a more dangerous intersection to navigate in this moment right now. Mm-hmm. And that fear was paralyzing for me as a parent. I was already involved in, you know, social justice from a racial identity standpoint mm-hmm. and a bunch of community organizing and, and things like that. So I was aware of just how dangerous that intersection was. And so, you know, I'm still being uber cautious. And I think it hit me at one point she had been sort of was really being tormented by, you know, peer. was quite sad and she was saying that she didn't really have any friends. And she felt like she didn't really have any friends. I remember that day when she said that, I was really quite sad and I had to call her case manager. I remember being in the parking lot of Pennington Market and feeling like I didn't know that I could drive home. I was such a basket case. And then I said, I, um, I remember calling a mom who was on a a journey with an older child that was a bit similar. I didn't even really know her properly. But I remember calling her and just sobbing. Yeah. Just sobbing. She's away in Florida with like a friend and I'm like on the phone and she drops everything and I'm just sobbing. And I'm like, I have, this is not, this, this approach is not working. At that point, I start making phone calls and I start asking for that day, like in the parking lot, I start asking for recommendations for a therapist. Action plan. Mm-hmm. I start um, having, you know, really intense conversations with the um, case manager. I start saying like, we, we need to revisit the IEP. Like we, we need to do all the things. Um, what were you talking about with Eve at that time? Nothing. I said, I was always, it was always centered in you are beautiful, you are powerful, you are a gift. Mm-hmm. We chose you, we mm-hmm. chose to create, like all, like that's where my language is. But I'm not leaning in to that conversation. I haven't gotten there yet. Which makes sense. Right? Because I don't know, like, I don't want to do it wrong. Like, I'm so afraid sure. that I'm going to say it wrong and, like, ruin everything. Yeah. And the weight of that was just so heavy. It's, I mean, it's still so heavy. And so two different sources refer me to the same person. And it turns out this woman like graduated from Hopewell. So she understands the culture here. Her husband is, um, I think Nigerian. So, and and she's white. And so she gets that, you know, she's gotten, you know, biracial children. So she gets like, the nuances of that's how we're moving in the world so you know we I got you know I get her signed up to speak with someone and that's life changing that's life changing so that was the year that we started uh, she'd started writing Eve on her papers Um, so this is we fast forwarded I'm sorry I'm horrible with timelines so we've now (laughs) fast forward she's like at this point she's like eight so she, I take her that year to trans youth forum.
1: While all of this is happening, I'm assuming you start seeing also a little shift in her, right? Because it sounds like slowly you're starting to process what's happening. Which... Right.
2: So we've done gentle changes, like mm-hmm. in some of like wardrobe and things like that. Nothing. But that is also having a hard time and like clothes are getting thrown away. Mm. Um, I love you, honey. Well, this. I
1: mean, we're all we we're <laughs> processing. It's a, it's something. It's not easy to process, no, and there really... is. I'm assuming I was going to ask you a uh, a grieving part too. There's right? a, oh
2: yeah, uh, yeah, and we we get there. We get to that part. Trans youth forum. We went to with the support she had at school was remarkable. That's good. So we're at Trans Youth Forum with her her therapist, her case manager, and three other staff members. That's amazing. That, yeah they all come with us now she's young so she's not doing the activity she's like playing with other kids in like the library but i'm going to all the the classes Mm -hmm. and i'm watching her and just how she's experiencing life now we had already purchased george which has been re-released under the female name which is escaping me at the moment um but george is a book about a transgender child so we had it at home i bought it bought it from Bobby, but we're there at this event and someone is like, we have to leave. Here's our tickets. And I was like, I didn't buy tickets for like the raffle thing. Well, Eve looks at me and she's like, mom, we're going to win. Like, I know we're going to win. And I was like, we didn't even buy these tickets. Like someone like (laughs) gave them to us. We're not winning. Sure enough, we win. And there is another copy of George. And so I, for me, I was like, it's time. Like we need to like sit down. Mm-hmm. So at one point she and I, I still remember we're sitting on my, on my bed and we start reading the book. And they teach you in this district. I don't know if it's district wide or just at Bear. um, You do this sort of wiggle. It looks like um, hang loose. Is that the hang or Right. Where the you way- point out your <laughs> pinky and you point your thumb out and you sort of point to the per- to a person and back to yourself. And they teach kids to do this when they see themselves in someone else's story, oh, right? Oh, that's and then they say something too, is, um, which I can't remember. Isn't
1: this, um, sign language. Like, I don't know, but idea. it's like,
2: and they, they say something, but I can't. Re- I now I can't remember what the word is. But um, as we're reading the book, I can see her out of the corner of my eye on some of the really hard parts going like this so she's seeing herself it was the bathroom i was reading about the bathroom and how george doesn't drink water all day because she's afraid that she'll have to use the bathroom and for her yeah. the boy's bathroom is like the most oppressive place she can imagine and so my child is going like this and i'm trying to keep my shit together and not immediately lose it at this point because I don't want any red flags. So I said, how about we, that's enough for tonight. We've never finished the book because it was just really, I think it was just too raw and real for her. Mm -hmm. So that night she slips a note under my door and it said, "Uh, I don't think I belong here. And this child that we chose to create said that she think she belonged here. And then I was like, I give no fucks. I don't care about any, what you think, what anybody thinks. I will lose everything to keep her safe. And that's when, (laughs) that's when we changed, we changed everything. I changed everything. That's it. I was like, you are, you are a beautiful girl. You are powerful you are remarkable
1: yeah what your gender is it's not what makes
2: you lovable nope. or important or any of that nope and so i was like i'm we're winning <laughs> yeah, at yeah. The end, we're winning at the end of this and i because what other choice do you have i had no other there was no other option for me um but to savor because it's that's the tr- that's the conversation. But as, yeah. a, as
1: hard as like we're all crying here, just so that if you're listening, we're we're all crying, <laughs> and it's beautiful. But like, how important, right? Because this very hard moment, and clearly it was so hard that she sent the note under the door. The door. She mm-hmm. like, didn't say it to me. That tiny note made such a pivotal shift. Because then suddenly, all of this fear and yeah. this dance and all of this shit that's like occupying space in your head.
2: Yeah. Poof, gone. All the you All matter.
0: matter. falls
2: away. It did. It did. And I was so clear. The, my, the clarity in that moment was just like unbelievable. And so her IEP, if you read my daughter's IEP, one of the things that it says, and it's always said, is that she does not self-advocate. Hmm. Does not self-advocate. Does not self-advocate. And I felt, so with that came a lot of remorse because I felt that I allowed my own fear to create a situation where I was heavily reliant on my daughter's inability to self-advocate. I mean, what kind of shit parents did I feel like having to acknowledge that my own discomfort, my own fear. You know how many parents? Are oh, yeah, like, please. Like, trust me. I'm like, not. I'm not. We're we're we're. We have moved.
1: <laughs> no, we have
2: moved I, past the you, me. But I think but acknowledging it and saying it out loud because yes. there's some parent out there who might hear this, who needs this, for and sure. and decide that oh my gosh, I'm not. First of all, I'm not horrible because I did that, but I can do better. Yes, but I can do better, and we can be better. And so when I started affirming powerfully the shift in her whole entire person was unbelievable.
1: Well, and also in, a, in another kind of way, the story kind of repeats itself, right? Because yeah. you were not allowed to be, I mean, as much as you had, you were yeah. like, I could throw hands, but yeah. you were not allowed to assert yourself in your identity no. as a kid. And mm-hmm. here you are doing the same. Same. So, like you're it's both healing
2: And I think that that shift, meant that it really changed her trajectory on this journey, too. Because she just skyrocketed into this sort of girlness, mm. for lack of a better word. Sure. Um, Fully inhabited.
1: Well, she's not anymore in like a fight or flight mode, right? Yeah. Like a survival yeah. mode of mm-hmm. like, I have to yeah. hide this part of me. She yeah. can be who she is.
2: Yeah. And I will say her trajectory hasn't really given my husband who's still really struggling anytime to catch up. Mm. I have some sympathy for black men who are dealing with this because it's a bigger thing mm. than just, you know, what appears on the surface. You know, this historical emasculation mm-hmm. of black men is a real thing. And then there's also this, you know, this fear. There's fear there's also you know for some it's like a faith thing an oppressive faith thing but it's really made it difficult for him because it's happened so fast it Mm -hmm. all has happened so incredibly fast so she had begun writing you know we talked about her name I remember saying you know your name is Micah and there are women I showed her pictures of just Mm -hmm. gorgeous women with her name and she was like nope she'd been writing eve and so i think i started calling her eve and it was like i messed up a lot like i got the pronouns wrong a lot and the name wrong a lot but i practiced a lot Mm -hmm. i did a lot of practicing that was really centered in like having a fake conversation Mm -hmm. one of the hardest areas for me to make the shift was is when i talk about a memory Mm -hmm. it's really weird because like you're your brain has already sort of classified that memory. So I would do exercises of replacing like the memory, right. And like changing the context of the memory, because that's where I still will sometimes I'll start talking slowly when I talk about a memory, because I'm doing some mental gymnastics of like replacing the pronoun and replacing the name. Mm -hmm. I think it was, you know, it's framed her like, you know, play dates, like, We tried one, it was a disaster. But, like, it's not, like, when she was younger and we couldn't do, like, the play dates, sleepovers, like, all of these things that are normal parts of, you know, growing up. You know, we, we, I don't know. Like, I may meet, she may, the child may be affirming, but I don't know about the parents or Mm -hmm. a sibling or is there a grandparent in the home. I don't know any of these things. Yeah. And so that's been, I think, pretty hard. For mm-hmm. her, you know that bit of it, and there's been bullying. There's been some, a lot of bullying. But I've done a lot of work in partnership with the district because at some point Eve was okay, and Eve is okay. She we got there, mm-hmm. you know. And then I said, okay, all the kids, we're we're not alone. There's gonna be the more, kids. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All the kids and. And that's when I started doing a lot of the advocacy work. That's when I brought LGBTQ 101 to the community. That's when I brought 201 to the community. That's when, you know, I eventually became a member of the Board of Hope Rises Up because, you know, they look back and they're like, we've these last whatever initiatives, these were you brought to us and said, you know, this is what we need to be doing. And so we're really trying to show up for... You know, young queer, and you're making folks a difference in the community. You've mm-hmm. already made it. I hope you know. I really hope so. Um, it's really, it's very important to me mm. because somebody's got to show up for these kids. And sometimes we think that we are, and we're 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 not giving them what they're asking for.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I'm really sort of moving into trying to create more sort of led by them, more experiences that are led by them. Because just because my kid is okay doesn't mean that all the rest of the kids are.
1: In the Deborah episode, we talk about this. I, yes, mm-hmm.
2: yes. Not every parent has the time to invest in and with the school in the way that I have.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? That's a privilege. And I have spent a lot of time... I mean, I've been a parent in this school district for over 20 yeah. years. There were a lot of spaces that I can enter now that, where I was not welcome.
1: Well, talk about the story that you told us. Early yeah. on,
2: right. Yeah. You had to and leave the. He, ironically, yeah, the individual, sort of, who was really a part of that, is now one of my strongest like supporters. And you know, she did the work, and you know, we d- and we are now we have a wonderful and a beautiful rapport. Who to thunk it? Yeah, but I don't burn. I don't believe in burning bridges, especially not in this work, because you could. We could be at our, each other's throats today and tomorrow you could come to me and be like, we, I want to do this thing for the kids. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> like, let's do it. Unless it's really, 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 really toxic in a way that to me feels irreparable. I don't, I really just don't.
1: Well, also your focus is on the kids and, it's and not my making bridge the to community burn, better. By right? the way,
2: mm-hmm. when you're out there, here's a note, everyone. When you're <laughs> out there fighting on behalf of a marginalized group, those bridges are not yours to burn because you're tired, or you're frustrated, or you got your feelings hurt. Hmm. They aren't yours because when you do burn them, they're not mad at you. You're not going to feel the mm-hmm. wrath. Who's going to feel the wrath? The next mar- marginalized person that yes. enters there. So that's a hard no, friends.
1: No, but that's I a, literally a good, have to say this yes, to people. No, yes. for sure.
2: When they're tired, and I'm like, okay, be tired. For a minute, yeah. do what you got to do. Take a break, but don't take, take it a beat. Out. Yeah. But don't burn that bridge. It doesn't belong to you. Yeah, I don't, I don't burn bridges that aren't mine. Is my point, I guess. I feel a responsibility to those families, to those children, that don't have a mom. Right, that can you know come and don't have a mom that can sit on the you know be a part of the. You know DEAI strategic plan process who can't you know go to the meetings who can't you know host Mm -hmm. the event or organize it or get the players in the room or who can't bring the therapist in to have a talk with the gym teacher who's also oppressive like who can't do all of those things because they're at work and they're trying to pay the bills or they're at home taking care of a little one or whatever or they're afraid or they're not there yet yeah mm-hmm. and so i do feel especially when i look back on my journey of advocacy work and i look at how many people peeled off when it moved into this space people who were with me when it was racial equity mm-hmm. and people who were with me when it was centered around women's rights who then peeled off
1: mm-hmm.
2: and they were like, mm-hmm, like this is what we get you called. got this and that was painful. That was deeply painful for me because I was like, "We, none of us chose this, including my child. Yeah. Let's yeah. be clear. None of us chose this. And I do see a lot of growth in some of those people, I will say, um, over the past little bit of time. But I remember going to people in broken places and being told pretty horrible things by folks who in the faith community that I sought out for support because they were activists and they said, Things to me like it was, you know, the devil attacking my family and
1: just that we were outside
2: of God, that she was outside of God's will. Just a whole lot of really painful and destructive. True. As if anyone
0: could be outside God's will. I guess my question is, how did you reconcile that? I mean, how did you keep your spiritual... Yeah. Tether when the faith community or when certain people within the faith community who you thought better of disappointed you in that way
2: because it was never about them
1: because mm. what of you what you said earlier right yeah like your relationship and with I, the I had higher leaned in
2: and and I had leaned into those like you know corporate th- it was never ever ever about them they would be praying for me that I'd get it right and. You know, that I'd fallen out of faith and I would be like, me and my God, we good. So have fun with that. Thank you. Well,
1: because <laughs> but religion is very fear-based, right? It's,
2: there is oh, a lot. It, it is. Be. And so yeah. I think that that's when it's, for me, it's about spirituality and it's mm-hmm. not about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so for me, I feel like God was all in Eve's journey. I think of all of these very distinct moments, where I was like, "Oh my God, God was there, God was there, God was there, God was there," there. and God is still there. Yeah, my fear was blocking me to see
1: everything that was happening, but at some level, I could see it. Right now, I see it better, but
2: I still remember. Like I always think about. I don't remember what what a great teacher Eve
1: was. Oh,
2: is just a beautiful teacher. I remember. I don't remember which grade it is, but there's one grade in the school where the kids bring home and they say, oh, mom, oh, dad, I have this homework assignment for you. It says read all the directions first before you do anything. So there's like number one. It's like, you know, draw a circle. Number two, write away. Like it gives you all of these instructions. Mm. The last instruction is... Do nothing. Ignore all the rest of this. I and just And just write write your name down that's how I feel my thing is you know there's all these rules and at the end of it it's like forget all of that and remember that God is love
1: I uh, I'm brilliant with you. I love that um metaphor it's perfect right because that's true God is love and mm-hmm. there's nothing else to it mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. is love mm-hmm. and here's the other thing when you're acting from that place Everything seems right and way more powerful mm-hmm. than when you're acting from, I got to get to church and the group and mm-hmm. read the Bible and do mm-hmm. all the other steps. No, listen, and check that's. Check off the rules yeah.
0: that I am obeying and, <laughs> you know, feel and bad from... about the ones I'm not.
2: And, and I think that's what kind of led me, <clears throat> in many ways, to being where I am now. And that was a tough shift for me, like leaving because I felt as though Eve was not affirmed. Mm-hmm. I felt. There were things being said. Now, there were people who were. There were some beautiful people. My church mom, mm-hmm. my dear friends, loved on us hard. But I felt that the pastor had not spoken t- to the elephant in the room. Like, everyone could physically see what was happening with Eve and said nothing. Not everyone, but he. Mm-hmm. He said absolutely nothing. And I think, in part, there was maybe fear. I was doing a lot of work. For the church. And I think there was maybe some fear that if he stated a position, then I would bounce. What happened was nothing was said. Yeah, For I'm me, preaching one
1: thing and then I'm going to do something yeah, else.
2: Yeah. I think, and then the, you know, while all this is happening now, the pandemic has hit, right? So people aren't, you know, worshiping in person anyhow. I'm heavily into the activism now. Like crazy in. Pastor Melissa is showing up left and right. And I'm like, hmm, what's that about? I'm sneaking in, like I'm zooming in to their services. This is the Presbyterian church here in Hopewell. And I'm listening to what she's saying. And I'm like, this is my jam, Mm -hmm. right? I think what happens is one of the members there wanted to be friends with me on Facebook. And I was like, I don't I'm like, I don't know, because, you know, this person knows me within the context of, like, faith space. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they're ready for, like, the whole fullness of me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's... Like, people bounce. During the pandemic, I lost a ton of people. People bounce. They were like, you're too much. I am out. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, does this person really, like... (sighs) I don't know. But finally, I was like, all right, whatever. Click. <laughs> I was like, ad friend. Well, that's how I saw that Deborah, Deborah Jodri, mm-hmm. who I love dearly, was hired. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's the sign I needed. Because for me, so much of my identity, remember, we, we came to the I'm a black woman? Darn it. Yeah. And now, you know, the black church, that's a part of it. Like, that's so much a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, people are confused. They're like, okay, so this wo- this person, who every time we turn around is telling us she's black woman, is now like leaving this black church to worship in a sea of white people. Mm-hmm. Like, what is actually happening here? And it's because and I remember they even had someone come and speak to this. He said, you know, growing up as a child, he felt that, you know, his grandfather, I think, was a pastor. He would go to all these churches and they would say, okay, everyone, you know, all this stuff, leave it at the door. And come when we come in here, we're one. So all of these things that, you know, your differences, all these things, just leave it. And when you come in here, you're one. And he said, that's trash. Like, that's not, like, like that's not. He said, I want to be in a church that says, all of who you are, bring it. Bring it all. That's what what I got at HBC. They said, who are you? How are you moving in the world? Bring it all. And by the way, how can we insert some of who you are into what we're doing here?
0: That's literally,
2: that question was literally posed to me. How do we insert some of who you are? Would they believe that, that everyone... That even your own lack of awareness of God doesn't mean that he is not already interceding on your behalf, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I just saw sort of the care, you know, that they would constantly take with me in terms of understanding where I come from and the nuances between where I came from and how they're moving. And so ultimately, I was like, um, I think I heard a message from one of the folks who was, um, grew up in the Catholic Church, very much a part of her identity, same thing, very similar to my experience. And when she gave testimony to that, that Sunday, I was just like, weeping. So I was like, oh my gosh, these people are going to think I'm actually crazy. I was just weeping, all of that. All of that out. And I was like, and that's the moment I still remember going on that little line and I, I looked at her and Chloe was with me. And I before we got to Pastor Melissa, I said, Are you ready to join here? You ready to do that? And she said I because said, 'Cause I'm ready. And she's like, Whew, and Yes. About <laughs> she's time. like, finally, Mom <laughs> like And we were going through that little line and it go to Shake Melissa's hand, and I say, "We're joining." And she hugged, and we all, and we just—we were crying. She's mm-hmm. crying. I'm crying. And you know, they baptized my daughter in the quarry. To be clear, Presbyterians sprinkle like water <laughs> on your head. But Chloe was like, "I want to be baptized in living water." That's what she told them. I want to be in a river or in a lake or in a she wanted to be not in a like she wanted to be in a proper body of water outside somewhere. That is how she wanted to be That's baptized. Fantastic. So this church that had never done this before built this entire beautiful baptism around this nine year old child because it's what she wanted more than anything. That day it was pouring rain. I mean, torrential water? downpour yeah. and, and everyone stuck it out I sang in the beginning and Chloe was baptized it was beautiful like I don't think I've ever witnessed a baptism that in my opinion was more beautiful than that moment of watching how powerful and when she, <laughs> when my daughter comes up out of the water she throws her hands in the mm-hmm. air like like she just scored the winning like mm-hmm. touchdown she like throws her hands in the air and everyone just is erupting in laughter just with tears and i thought to myself my god did these people not create a home for us in such like
1: yeah that's the powerful part right like a the powerful. community you're like right. you're you're one of us we're in this together and listen i'm not you.
2: naive like it's a two-way street i know that there are things that i gave them and that's not me being like full of myself but worship in the black church is a full-body experience mm. it's it's a conversation at first I was very restrained because I was like nervous and I had spoken with Melissa about it and I said you know because I let I think I let an amen out at some point and I was just worried that I might throw them off when they're doing and she explained to me that you know her class that she'd been with, a group of folks who were in different denominations where that's the way she said, this feels like actually feels like home to me. And so I imagine in some way, me audibly saying like, yes, this is, I'm hearing you or the way that I'm mo- like, I'm very, it's very much mm-hmm. an experience I think is also something for them. Like that feedback loop. Is yeah. Very important. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, because again, this is how you bring who you are into their community, right? Like or whatever, however she phrased that question, like how can we bring some of you into this? Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. this is how you do it. Be yourself. This is how you want, how we want you here. Being yourself. Yeah. Um, Through all of this story, um, you mentioned at some point that you could hear kind of like being up in the mountain, your ancestors and how Mm -hmm. that was important and how you felt like you. So on top of the work for advocacy for, you know, everything that you're doing with and, but you also have the Sourland Mountain um, Museum, right? Yes, you, the
2: Salzburg-Sourland yes. Stout African Stout. American Museum. No, I serve as the president. I'm a founding board member. My mm-hmm. So Beverly and Elaine have known me pretty much in the entirety of my life. Um, and they have been sort of huge mentors for me so you know as they were moving through the process of imagining this the creation of this museum that was when i was at first baptist with beverly we were both trustees she was chair i was vice chair and treasurer and i told her like listen when you do this thing if you don't include me like i'm gonna be pissed yeah yeah i was like i need to be a part of this like i need to do this she didn't forget me and you know i was one of the founding board members that really sort of started this beautiful project of of um, really sharing the stories of of African Americans from this Sourland region. You know, I think that our mission has grown and changed a bit. The, the stories have gotten a bit broader. We do cover sort of from the transatlantic slave trade all the way up through to, you know, even recent, very recent history, but there are really remarkable stories and powerful stories there. This region is unique, but also not right there. So there are hamlets like that, this that exist all over, particularly the northeast, but all over the country, where there were some rules that were slightly different. You know, black people, in the indigenous population, and very you know poor white people and European immigrants were all sort of pushed if they didn't have money they were all pushed out to this land which was not considered great farmland it was considered quite sour so there was a way that community was built outside of what you would typically see in that time during mm-hmm. you know this time frame there was a way in which my grandparents did a lot of barter and trade and the way that the people on the mountain like looked out for each other that was very sort of different i mean there were still the issues you know, and they, the language was problematic, mm, but sure. but there was a way in which you cared. They cared for their neighbors. That was really quite special and quite remarkable. And there was mm-hmm. there was quite a bit of race intermixing, which yeah. was not super prevalent other places. Mm-hmm.
0: Integrated
2: in a very different way. In than a really a lot different. Of-
0: regular yeah. towns.
2: Yeah. And listen, New Jersey, it wasn't that New Jersey was different. I mean, New Jersey was horribly racist. I mean, it was literally the last of the northern states to abolish slavery. And then they didn't really abolish it. They did this lame ass, like rolling off thing. Yeah. So there were issues, please don't get me wrong, but there was this community of a lot of people that looked like me. Um, and then some that didn't also that, they were thriving like they created beautiful life here and were thriving and doing wonderful and amazing things until there was like a peach blight and a lot of the folks were working in the this is like a lot of peach orchards massive amount of peach orchards in the region and this blight actually hit all over the country but here it really huh. people had to sort of Right. So you had people who were making baskets. You had people who were tending. I mean, you can think of all of the different roles that would exist. And suddenly there, there's the job's not there anymore. So people have to find other sources of income. And then that coupled with the fact that, you know, you're seeing, we start to move towards, you know, there's no more passenger rail. And so, you know, I have, uh, ancestors who were Gandhi dancers, who were the folks who were repairing the tracks between Hopewell and Skillman. And so, you know, that was gone. And so if you wanted to continue to work for the railroad, you had to go down to Trenton to work for the railroad. And so you see people leaving, and then let's gentrification, people Mm -hmm. are being priced out, people have been robbing land from black people forever. (laughs) There are these really beautiful, powerful stories that these two women unearthed i feel that preserving that for future generations educating people about it and celebrating it is a radical act of social justice for me yeah because it informs the path forward and that is when you want to talk about a social action by definition at least my definition the intent is to change the path forward mm-hmm. and i believe that that's what this work does so do you, do
1: you think that when you bring awareness to this causes it's when you feel the most powerful oh
2: so yes so there there's a really clear moment in history when when you see a shift in the black church you see the introduction of something called black liberation theology. And what you see is this doctrinal shift or sort of reframing where suddenly you see this God who is extremely concerned about the poor and downtrodden, right? The oppressed, the put upon. And you suddenly see the birth of this idea that the blind subservience that was shoved in our gullets, right endlessly is not the jam it's not the ticket that the fight for freedom is the most one of the most powerful expressions of faith yeah. not just securing that for yourself but securing that for everyone around you everyone who will come after you looping that back into me as a human being i absolutely see that work as an expression of my faith, because how better do you honor your Creator than fighting to ensure all of the things that we are promised, all of the things that should be, all of the things that a divine Creator would want for their creation? Mm-hmm. How better do you express that than to to fight these fights? So for me, I think I you know I've I followed along when Liz shared the podcast and I followed along and I've listened to these Mm -hmm. women. And at first I was like, my goodness, seriously, (laughs) because I heard, like, I really felt that these, I saw them as these inherently powerful people, right. Mm -hmm. That then were like, there was like this spreading out of the power. But what was interesting to me was that part of that, I think is that, these were not people who were born here in this country. There is a way that they moved in a freedom of expression because a product of who sort of where they came from mm-hmm. and where I feel like I have was constantly seeking permission. I don't see myself as this inherently powerful creature. I see myself more as... Here I am, I'm empty right now. I'm an empty vessel right Mm -hmm. now in this moment. And when I go do this thing, that's when I become powerful. So for me, it's like, you hear about those highways where the highway, when you drive on the highway, it powers the electricity. Some country, some brilliant people, we always think we're the best, but somewhere (laughs) they're literally doing this thing where the car's driving on the highway is what gives the power to the community that sounds amazing for me it's in the movement it's in the doing the thing Mm. that's where the power is born well because
1: there's also this mixed thing i mean we talk about this a lot when we're not recording as well right because we also end up like whoa people are having a hard time with this question um there's this thing where also powerful feels like related to like a memory or something that's re- yeah. like that was really powerful that yeah. was really moving versus like i am powerful or mm-hmm. you know this is powerful um so there is a little bit of like action conjoined with power kind yeah. of thing right like yeah. there is it's an action word yeah
0: yeah 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 and and reclaiming it to use it for actions that are liberating and beneficial and creative as opposed to just powerful things being oppressive and destructive all of those things um so like reclaiming it for the creative purposes it's hugely important i mean that's that's our jam here and we're gonna change it one woman at a time
2: (laughs) no listen it's really sort of understanding self has always been like a journey for me and I sort of tend to err on the side of some self-deprecating behavior <laughs> that's like, you know, it's not great. So it would even be hard for me to imagine myself as being this really, like, this powerful person. For me, it's more about what I am doing for something else that makes me feel comfortable acknowledging that there's there's power in that. Yeah there's real power in that
1: mm-hmm. as a creator, like being a creator is powerful and you are creating this change that is powerful, but that it comes back again, right? Like it, it's like separate. Like you don't think about it as I have the power and I had the power to yeah. make all these changes. It's more like the changes were powerful,
2: you know, and that could be a product of, you know, like religion, ironically, <laughs> and not spirituality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where, you need to, there needs to be this constant humility. And so I think that there are ways that I'm just not comfortable sort of seeing myself. And I think one of the most remarkable things for me is like witnessing, you know, my youngest is is such a powerful Mm -hmm. little human being and she's very self-aware. And at first, you know, her father and I, we were really, or at least I was, he, I felt like he was, Okay, I was really worried, because in my mind, confidence equaled arrogance, right? Like I, I equated the two, and they're not mm. the same thing, right? I struggled with like the line. and I was like I had fear. I was like, you know, I don't want her to be a mean girl. Like I'm thinking all these things. And then I realized, like there's no tone of mean girlness with what she's saying. Like she's just like, "I'm fabulous. Right?
1: Well, because we have years and years, and here it comes again, right? Of that beat right?
2: into our heads. And so she's not manifesting in the world in that way at all.
1: And probably we weren't either. It's just that we weren't allowed. But it was to, just
2: like, constantly...
1: Yeah, just don't have that behavior.
2: But I do think some part of it is just, like, her, how she was born. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I have four children, and she's the the one that's she's just been very like she was Eve's early on in Eve's journey when the kids were cutting up on the bus and were like where are the upstanders she's three years younger the upstander was my five year old at the time (laughs) who stood up and told everybody to shut up and was like no more no more and I still remember going on Facebook and being like if your child comes home today and says that Sassy McGee told them to shut up on the bus trust me they deserved it. <laughs> Post. <laughs> when I talk about my work, it's it's this. It's it's the advocacy work. It's the it's, it's the history. It's the preservation. It's the bringing people together. Mm. I love bringing people together. Yeah, and I that's don't... that's the most important work.
1: Yeah,
0: because you are changing the world.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, one day I'm going to figure out how to monetize it. I, you know, I mean, we all are. Somehow. I think you
1: should <laughs> start publishing some books?
2: My I was working book. with a mentor for a while, and then, then the pandemic, it just wasn't the right time. Mm. Um, because I never imagined myself writing a book. Like, I write a ton of poetry, and I've got some well, essays, but I never I, imagined I'm sure
1: there's thinking. literature, and, you know, you would said that you found, like, you made a whole bunch of phone calls at the beginning in that parking lot, and you got, like, therapists yeah. and recommendations. But, like, just think about what literature you've found. Like... How important it is mm-hmm. for women going through mm-hmm. women, families, whomever going through this. Yeah. Um, and trying to find something that resonates just yeah. as much yeah. as George did. Story. You know, story. Yeah.
2: It's a, you know, and it's a funny thing because I think about the woman that took my phone call that day in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And I made a promise that day that I would always take that phone call. And I can't tell you the number of mostly moms that have called me in the same position that I was in.
1: I mean how and lucky looking are for they for resources.
2: Mm-hmm. And apologizing, right? Like I did for and I and I said, I've been where you are. I will always take your call. And I think that's how moms have done that for each other. Like you'll talk to moms who have kiddos on these journeys and they will tell you how other moms like made all the difference. The network. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because for moms, for the most part, it's different. Like, it becomes like your whole thing.
1: I can understand. I can imagine.
2: For mm-hmm. sure. Right? This is an extension of yourself. You're like this a way, like... person. And it doesn't matter if they grew inside of you or not. For sure. When you're a mom to another human, it's different. It's just really, really different.
1: And, like, if you could put this with any situation any situation that you go through when you can talk to someone that's going through the same situation it helps bounce off ideas get better Mm -hmm. and this situation is so complex because it is Mm -hmm. with a child and because motherhood is in the middle of it and because you want to protect your kid from everything, no matter what journey they're in, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, I wanna give them a better, safer world. So Mm -hmm. to connect with other women that have the same path can completely make the journey lighter.
2: Yeah. 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 And it does. It does. Though there's always there's always a way that you know other mamas and also Queer kids will have my heart always mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Shared, so shared experience if mm-hmm.
1: you were talking to Chloe or the little women what was the what would be the main thing that comes to your head that you would like, like tell you had them? to
0: distill your life lessons down into mm-hmm. a nugget or two for the little girls
2: Wow don't yeah. be afraid to be really big mm. Yeah, don't be afraid to be big and to move big and to always draw the circle really wide and know that some people might need help finding their way inside. Yeah, because I think we need to have a broader view about what we call a woman.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I think we need to start, you know, having a broader view about what we call a woman.
1: Yeah, and people need to start feeling less threatened by w- making that circle wider
0: mm-hmm. thank you Kat this has been amazing I'm sorry I talked so long no oh, <laughs> me this was
1: amazing <laughs> join us next week when we talk to awarded poet author and teaching artist Colby Sater-Smith
0: don't forget you can catch up with all of our episodes on any podcast platform thanks for listening